This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yo, it is another episode of High Hopes as we have a Matt Klentax making some moves episodes here as I am your host, James Seltzer. With me as always, my co-host, This time, we wanted to get you this podcast so badly, we didn't care that he's calling from a tin can. Literally, I think he might be in a tin can. Mr. Johnny Marks. Marks, what's up, brother? Well, it's Friday, and the storm of the century was here today. I don't know how many inches the storm of the century is, but people weren't expecting this much snow, so I'm looking at a an hour and 40-minute drive that normally takes me, oh, about an hour, so it's going to be a little bit longer, but, but yes. So I'm on the Bluetooth in the car so if it sounds shitty, I apologize, but I, I'm not going to hold the phone up to my ear when I'm driving on snow-covered roads, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Yes, I, I think your safety is, is paramount to all of us, so, uh, and Depending also you're not getting it. you ask, there, there are people right. It's a, a good point, it's a good point. Yeah, I, I think uh, opinions could vary there, but at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm worried about your safety. So uh, we'll roll with that. And look, uh, you know, we had to do whatever we had to do to get this out there because, uh, you know, it's been like nothing all off season. Obviously, a few rumors here, a few things there. And then wham, everything comes down in the same day, Johnny, as uh, uh, we will talk. Uh, let's do it in chronological order, at least in terms of uh, of how it played out today as uh you know, this is a uh, a Marshawn Lynch like podcast. We're all about that action. Uh, we are going to get back to the uh, the review previews next week. We'll do uh, some catcher talk before we get to the outfielders. The outfielder is going to be a little more interesting now, as uh, as uh, we'll get to in just a minute. But let, let's start with the Freddie trade, John. As I think, um, you know, obviously the Santana signing is the other thing that we'll get to, and then we'll look ahead and see what it kind of all means moving forward here. But uh, I, I think at least for most people in Philadelphia, they're going to feel the most connection to the Freddie trade. Uh, you know, a lot of people, whether you whether you're like you and me, where where we both agreed that we were very happy if they could find something to move Galvis for and to, to just give JP Crawford the reins at shortstop and let the kid, you know, move forward with the franchise. But there definitely is, as you put it on the radio today, a lot of Freddie Galvis truthers out there as well. And um, look, I get it. He was a, a good Philly. I think he stood up in the locker room. Obviously a great yeah. defensive player, a little more pop, fun guy to root for. But, um, you know, we talked about it. Uh, I think we're both pretty happy with this. They get a, 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 a Padres prospect, Eniel De Los Santos. John, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a huge fan of fun names to say. Julius Chassin, still my favorite to this day, uh, but I'm yeah. a fan of Eniel De Los Santos. But uh, a 22-year-old right-hander, six foot three, a uh, little under a K per inning last year in the minors. Um, 
Uh, number 15 or 16 prospect, more or less, depending on where you look in the Padres system for what it's worth. Padres, a, a pretty strong farm system. John, uh, we just talked about whether they would or wouldn't trade Freddie uh, in our last show, and, and now already it's happened. Uh, what's your general reaction to, to kind of the whole news coming down and, and you know, saying goodbye to Freddie? Yeah, I, I didn't. The last time we spoke, I didn't. I didn't think that they were going to get it done. They, and you know what it showed me that Clintock got it done because you're right. He's not even a top 15 prospect. I looked at a couple different sites today. I looked at a midseason. He's certainly not a top 10 prospect. He does have some upside as a back end starter. Uh, like you said, uh, he'll give up hits. He's not the. You know, he doesn't have the greatest control, but he does have some strikeout potential. Maybe he ends up going in the bullpen. But right now, he's viewed as a back end starter. Anything that you're going to get for Freddie Galvis that, that you consider value at this point, it's good to me that Matt Klintak realized that it was time to move on and J.P. Crawford needed to be the starting shortstop of this team. So, and that's what he did. So I think he looked, at, he looked at the landscape. The Padres were the most often team that, was, um, that kept hanging around the rumors with Freddie Galvis. And I think Klintak looked at the landscape and said, hey, Maybe if we hold on to him through the trade to the trade deadline, we can get a little bit more. Bottom line is, you would maybe get a C plus prospect instead of a C prospect, and the Phillies got a C C plus prospect, and I think they realized they probably weren't going to get that much more, and it's just better for this team if they moved on right now. So I'm happy they did. I, I, Freddie was a great Philly. I appreciate what he did here. He's been with the organization since I believe he was 16 years old. Uh, maybe he comes back at some point as a utility player, but. As of right now, it's all about J.P. Crawford and, and the youth movement. So I'm excited to see J.P. as starting shortstop from day one. Yes, uh, and you know I feel this way. I was actually, when we did, at the end of our last show, I guess it was two shows ago, we talked about uh, will Freddie Galvis be the starting shortstop at the start of the 2018 season for the Phillies, and I believe that both you and Fritz said yes, and I, I was the one who said no, I and I didn't. I know. I didn't think it would happen this quickly, but but just what you said there, like I just the feeling felt like this team wanted to move forward with the youth, and Crawford is such a crucial part of that movement. And and it's and he's a shortstop. Like yeah, you can fool around and put him at third because he's talented and he can do other stuff. But he is a shortstop. He is a long term shortstop. It just made sense to to me at least to to cut ties and move forward you know, with this team as you want it to kind of shape forward and get him as many reps as a major league shortstop as you can, you know, so that when you are competing, he's got, you know, 300 games at shortstop instead of, you know, a hundred and whatever, or, or whatever it is. But uh, regardless, I think, look, if, uh, and, and we obviously don't know much about Eniel De Los Santos other than he has a fun name and uh, you know, what we've kind of read and looked up in the last little bit, but Again, the Padres so he, are. He he just turned twenty. He turns twenty two on Christmas, right? Yes, he so turns twenty two on Christmas. So he so he pitched last year at Double A San Antonio at twenty one. So I mean, just to say that, listen, Double A at twenty one being a starting pitcher that's that's pretty advanced. And that's me beeping my horn because I had some asshole that just started out <laughs> in front of me. Any, anyway, yes, yeah, so it's twenty one years old pitching at Double A. I don't know what his upside is. He looks like he's got decent numbers. He's got a shot at being a major leaguer. And at this point for Freddie Galvis, I'm satisfied with that. So I'm excited, well, exactly. I'm excited that, to see JP. That, and that's the point. Like, for Freddie, like, we talked about it. I was, I mean, you know, I wasn't going to give Freddie away. But at the same time, like, for the idea of just moving forward with JP... I was willing to take a lot for Freddie to move forward. And, you know, if the, if this guy becomes a fourth or a fifth starter, I mean, 
it's a steal, to be honest. And obviously, that's his high end, it seems like. It's probably unlikely he ends up being that. But I think to take a shot for, for again, a guy who you know, we all agree was expendable and, and is a very good defensive shortstop, but isn't you know a top half or even a top three quarters probably overall shortstop in the league or definitely top half. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think... And from, the, and from the Padres' standpoint... They needed a starting shortstop. They gave up their 15th best prospect or whatever. It's a good deal for both sides. The Phillies are ready to move on because of J.P. Crawford, and the Padres are trying to win a couple games next year. And Freddie has one year left on the contract. You don't have to worry about paying a big salary going forward. So I think it worked for both teams. Yeah, and if you think about how the Padres have kind of, and granted, for better or worse, generally seem to structure their teams. It's it's a big ballpark they play in. Granted, they brought the uh, the fences in a little bit but you know they've always been more of a, a geared towards pitching and defense Freddie seems yep. like a fit there you know they're always a light hitting team out in in San Diego yeah. so um, I think that makes a ton of sense uh, and who would have thought though because the Freddie news comes down I have Fritz texting me Freddie with like six Y's and I'm like oh man I can't believe it and then not like an hour later John the Carlos Santana news comes down and we had heard the rumblings a little bit uh, I can't remember if it was that guy in Boston, Nick Cafardo, who seems to throw stuff at a wall and, and maybe hit one. But we uh, the Santana news came out. We we talked about it on a previous High Hopes pod. You know, kind of like that. Eh, you know, I like Santana, but it's a a strange signing. But you said it. When we did the first base preview, you were, were, at least of the three of us, certainly the most adamant in the belief that Hoskins not only could be an outfielder, but that, that you thought the Phillies might like him there. And, and John, you nailed this one. Yeah, and I think I was on with John Stolness of Felsky Files. Specifically, he asked me about the Santana rumor, and I don't remember if we talked about it that much on here. I know we did, but the reason why I thought that it made sense from the Phillies or from the rumor standpoint is it's not a John Heyman, well, the Phillies don't have starting pitching and they have a lot of money, so I'm going to connect the dots and say the Phillies are interested in Arietta and some other people. Like they have Reese Hoskins. So why would the name of Carlos Santana be floating out there? It didn't make sense unless you realized that they were really they felt like Hoskins can adequately play left field for the next three years. So that's why I thought there was actually some smoke with the fire, some fire with the smoke. And um, I I like the signing. I, I don't know what it means for Nick Williams or Odubel or Altair, but I know what it means for this lineup. And he's a Gold Glove caliber first baseman, and he's. He's going to make this team better. And in Citizens Bank Park, if he doesn't hit 30 home runs, then it would, I think, it would be disappointing. Yeah, I think he'll probably – I mean, look, he'll be around that number. 23 last year, 34 the year before. Uh, and like you said, I don't know if he's quite gold glove anymore, but he's close. I mean, he's a, he's a really good first baseman, a former catcher who, you know, can handle himself. You know, is really good with, with picking the ball for obvious reasons as well. Um, yeah. And 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 the, here's the thing. Look, we've talked about a ton where this organization is heading from a a philosophical standpoint, and all you have to do is look at Carlos Santana's year by year on base percentage to know why they signed him. I mean, look, uh, 46 games his rookie season, 401, and then incredibly durable. Hasn't played less than 143 games, 144 games any season, usually in the 150s, but. This has been his career, 351, 365, 377, 365, 357, 366, 363. The dude gets on base, and he gets on base consistently. He even batted leadoff, I think, 150 at-bats last year for the Indians. Like, um, he did, yeah. 
so he's a guy who it, it just fits into that philosophy we've been talking about, John. Like that approach at the plate about getting on base being your first priority. Where does he hit though? What is the line? Like, what is he? I, so I was trying to figure this out today because Hoskins obviously is very patient. Do you use him for protection behind Hoskins, or do you bat him clean up with Hoskins as the three getter? It's good. Well, here's the thing, and I think that's the most fascinating thing about Gabe Kapler being here is, uh, you know, I think anything's on the table from an analytical standpoint. Santana might lead off. You know, it wouldn't shock me if he decided to have Santana lead off. Now, I think, you know, we got to see how the the season shapes out. I think Cesar is still a really nice uh, potential leadoff hitter as well. We saw the strides he made in, you know, getting on base, on base percentage last season and, and really the last couple seasons as well. But right. I, I think it's going to be hard to tell with Kapler. And I think Kapler is going to be one of those guys who adjust the lineups a lot based on the, the matchups and the pitching Santana switch hitter too, which we didn't mention, which is always nice. And he's one of those rare switch hitters actually like who's really legitimately pretty close in terms of how good he is from each side of the plate. You know, you usually see those switch hitters and it's usually that they're weaker from the left side than the right side. But for some reason, this guy, he's, he's really good from both sides of the plate, John. You don't always see that. Yeah, and it, 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 it makes things so much easier because I, you're, you're thinking, like, all right, you have Hoskins' right-handed hitter. It, managers love to have the flexibility of, of either stacking right-handed hitters against a, a, a lefty starter or being able to go left-right, 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 so you can't bring in a, a situational lefty and nail your lefties, or you can't bring in a, a – situational righty and nail your righties so Santana really in the middle of that lineup him being a being a switch hitter really really helps gives you some flexibility gives you high on base percentage you can see what they're looking at here is they're valuing those things it's not about just hitting home runs and 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 hitting for power it's about getting on base it's about making your team better so you look at some of the young players on the team J.P. Crawford and Reese Hoskins what do they do well they're high on base percentage. They're high IQ players. Carlos Santana is the same thing. Yes, it's exactly right. And he does have more pop from the left side, which is nice. But again, just a really solid hitter on both sides of the plate. And again, like I saw a lot of people, at least a few people on Twitter and, and whatever, kind of complaining about the money and all that. That's where baseball is. I We've kind of been shielded from it here in Philadelphia for a little while because the Phillies have not been good enough to actually pay anyone any money, John. And that has been an organizational choice. Obviously, you know, they have geared up for this. But look, they have money to spend. $20 million a year is exactly the type of money that a guy with Carlos Santana's resume makes in Major League Baseball right now, John. And it's three years. Remember that. For all the bitching and complaining about Ryan Howard's contract, and I was one of them, it still was only five years. So when the Albert Pujols is 10 years, or you know what I'm saying, seven years, eight years, you get him three years for 60. So it's advantageous for that. It's only, listen, it's only three years. If you want, want Reese Hoskins to be the first baseman at that point in his career where he's starting 28-29, you can do that. And you're right. I mean, you look at the middle relievers they're signing. The middle relievers make it $7.5 million. A setup guy, a seventh-inning guy is making $6, 7000000 million. If that's the case, a starting – all-star quality caliber. I don't think he's going to be an all-star anymore, but you know what I mean. A mm-hmm. good starting player is going to make $20 million in free agency. So that's just, I think fans have to realize that that's the nature of the business today. Exactly. And that's the key. You just said it, John. The three years is the key. And the thing with the Howard contract that was the real problem was that it was, yeah, only a five-year deal, but they signed it with two years left on the other deal. So it was like a seven-year deal in reality. And a $10 um, but- million dollar buyout. 
Yep. And this, uh, I mean, this has a, a fourth year that's a club option for $17.5 million, which, you know, theoretically, if, if the way Santana progresses could actually be a steal if they actually do want to do yeah. it. But regardless, that's in their hands, which is nice. And three years is really not that long a commitment, especially for a guy like this who, as we mentioned, has been both so incredibly durable and also so incredibly consistent in terms of his approach to the plate, his ability to get on base. Whether his average is high or low, he's going to get on base. It's usually lower more than high. Um, but And he's got some pop for you. And like you said, John, uh, you know we've, lo- we've watched a lot of not good baseball players here in Philadelphia. This guy's a good oh, baseball boy. player. Yeah. You know, he's a good baseball player. We got a good baseball player here. You know, it's a, I, I, I can't. I can't find it. Like, you know, I was not a, a move Reese Hoskins to the outfield guy. I, I thought I, he's a first baseman long-term, put him there, but I, I wasn't staunchly opposed to it like I was to, you know, the idea of Freddie playing shortstop instead of JP. I, I was much more against that. This, you know, it's, it's it, he athletically can do it. If they believe he can do it and they can turn into it, great. It opens up. I mean, if you have a, a bat like that, you could put in the outfield and it gets you that better bat at first base instead of a weaker hitter in the outfield. Awesome. All about it. Yeah. Um, it, so, it was, uh, you it know, was I, all I, about, it was all about who they were going to sign at first base. Like if you were doing it to Tommy Joseph to play first base, then no, exactly. I'm, I'm not down with that. Exactly. So that's crucial. And, um, but it does bring up an interesting point, John, uh, that you mentioned before, and I want to get your quick take on it and then we'll kind of uses as a way to kind of lead into some of the other rumors and stuff. And real quick, you did mention middle relievers. We did not mention remiss with all this other news. Tommy Hunter, I do like that signing. He's a really good middle relief pitcher with a lot of stuff. And, and you know, the, the deal they got him on, as we're seeing, John, with these other signings, uh, actually looks like a pretty good deal already. Um, so, and again, yeah. another one of those candidates to flip. I and would, Pat Neshek's back. Two-year contract for Neshek. It's great. Would, I'm good. I'm I, good with it. I was, I was mildly surprised that they got two guys. I know they're trying to bolster the bullpen because they, they either missed out on some starters, which I'm sure they were trying to grab guys and they just weren't comfortable overpaying to get them at this point. Um, I thought we were going to see a lot of the younger guys this year in, in middle relief. There's so many young arms at the, at the high, at the high uh, minors. I thought maybe you're going to see some of those guys this year, but you can't argue with bringing in veterans. And like you said, these are guys that could easily be flipped at the trade deadline. Yeah, exactly. When when they signed Nishik, I I, th- I tweeted out like step one, sign Pat Nishik. Step two, trade him. Step three, repeat for all of eternity. You know, so uh, I'm all for it. <laughs> um, but it, it does beg the question. Looking back at this Santana signing and, and Hoskins, uh, you know, a clear everyday player in the outfield. You mentioned it before, you know, you do, we, we had thought this outfield looked kind of set heading into 2018. Obviously anything can change and it did, but we thought, you know, a Nick Williams, Aaron Altair, Odubel Herrera base of an outfield looked pretty, pretty solid. And, um, and now that's not happening. So a, do you think, who do you think is the odd man out at the moment? And B, do you think they are the odd man out because another deal is still on the horizon? Yeah, the latter, uh, my my initial reaction was, all right, well, they probably don't have enough confidence in Altair based on his injury history, and the the Phillies shouldn't shouldn't have all that confidence in Aaron Altair. When he's on the field, he's a pretty good player, but he hasn't shown the ability to stay on the field. So I can't blame Matt Klintak going out and saying, you know what, I'm not comfortable with it. But that's a pretty strong signing to give a guy $20 million a year. Like, if you would have... Signed an outfielder that's a starter, but, you know, kind of like a good starter, not an all-star level type guy. Um, 
I do wonder if they're if they they have something in the works where I don't want to say Manny Machado, but somebody where the team's saying like, hey, listen, we want an we want a major league ready outfielder right now. They don't grow on trees. When you see when you see trades in major league baseball, there's not normally a young major league ready outfielder that can be dealt that can be the starter the next year because their value is very high. The Phillies have not one but two in Aaron Altair and Nick Williams. And it wouldn't surprise me if you're going to get Manny Machado, you're going to have to give up Nick Williams. I mean, you might have to give up both. But Absolutely. Would it, would it surprise me if they were if they were working on something? It would not at all. Yeah, I agree. That's that's where I lean as well. I think it's unlikely. I'll say that we go into the season with with Hoskins and all three of those outfielders on the team. I think. Um, oh, I think Odebol the most likely to stay, like you kind of intimated as well. Both. Uh, mostly more so because I don't know if teams are as excited about trading for him due to the age. And, and he has a really good contract, but it's not the you know club control that a Williams or an Altair has and, right. and the upside, a, lo- a, lo- a lower upside. But I, you know, I'm happy with that. I think Odebel's a great player, and I'm, I'm happy to have him here. But I- I'm with you. I think we will see something happen. And, and like you said, and let's lead into that there because um, the Machado trade talks and all that type of stuff still very much on the table. We've been hearing a lot of – back and forth it seems that that kind of where it's at right now john obviously there are a lot of teams involved number one first and foremost the orioles do not want to trade machado to the yankees nor do they want whoever they trade machado to to trade him to the yankees obviously it gets a little sticky but that seems like something that peter angelos the psychopath that he is really cares about um but the phillies seem to be one of the few other teams in on this it does seem though like the Orioles keep asking for Sixto Sanchez in return. Uh, how do you feel about this whole kind of situation? What are you kind of willing to give up here? And, and is Sixto off the table for you? Well, I, I've, I've actually I've had more tw- Twitter interaction with this, this Philly stuff today and yesterday than I have with anything else that I've talked about. So I, that's why I, I told people on the air today, James and I are doing a Phillies podcast <laughs> because it's Eagle season and we can't talk about it that much. But um, – yeah, see, I, I don't think what I would be willing to give up uh, is going to get Manny Machado. And I, unless there is a agreement that's worked out in advance to where you're giving him $400 million a year, which I don't, I mean, are the Phillies willing to do that right off the bat? Is Manny Machado willing to sign it? You're going to have to give him premium money if you're going to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm not giving up Sixto Sanchez. I'm not giving up Scott Kingery. I'm not giving up J.P. Crawford. And, um, and I, I said that uh, there's another player that, that I wouldn't give up, but I know that you are going to have to give up some some value. I would I would think Nick Williams has some, some some pretty good value out there. Nick Williams would be a guy. Adam Hazley would be another guy. Mickey Moniak, who I don't think has much value at all right now, I would try to trick the Orioles into thinking, oh, former number one overall pick, 19 years old, Moniak. I'd be I'm not giving up Sixto Sanchez, he, even if. James, if you're saying that you, you're able to sign him and you work out a contract extension before, I think that we're having a different conversation. But as it stands right now, I don't know about any contract extension being worked out. So if you're doing a one-year rental and you hope by getting him here that you're going to be able to re-sign him, I'm not giving up Sixto Sanchez. I'm not. I, they're, they're called prospects for a reason, and I get that. But I'm not willing to do it. Because I look at a, a, I look at a Manny Machado or a Mike Trout, Mike Trout has put up historic numbers. How many playoff series has he won? You need players around you, and if you trade all your good young players around you, 
Machado will hit 50 home runs and be the runner-up in the MVP, and the Phillies will be in second to last place. So put, your, put that in your pipe and smoke that, because I don't want that. To quote the great Hal McRae. Yeah. Put that in your effing pipe and smoke it. Uh, I'm, I'm with you here. Uh, look, I, I think that there's no zero chance, less than zero chance, that the Phillies would trade Sixto or Kingery in a deal like that without uh, a contract negotiated in that 72-hour window. I, I just I don't think that happens. You know, look, there's no reason to. He'd be on the market next year. And also, the Orioles don't have that kind of leverage. You know, they just don't uh, because of that nope. reason. Unless Machado is willing, like you said, you made that key phrase, unless Machado is willing to sign an extension. It all comes down to that because otherwise, if you're talking about a one-year rental and hope he likes it here and all that, then you're, you're right, John. It's a package based around Nick Williams and, you know, Moniak and Hazley. And I don't know if that's enough for the Orioles. I also don't know if anyone else is going to offer much more than that unless they have a yeah. guarantee from Machado. So it's a real difficult situation. I think what ultimately will happen whenever it does happen, and I, I would think it happens before the season, but it could happen at the trade deadline. At some point, the Orioles will say, all right, there is a 0.0% chance that we are re-signing Manny Machado. Get what we can for him, and I, and I hope that the Phillies are there for that moment. But I also think there's a non-zero chance that, that Machado does say, you know, screw it. Uh, if you're willing to give me $420 million right now, I'll take it. I You know, I avoid injury yeah. for a year, whatever it is. I, you know, I think that's a real possibility. And, and you know, obviously you'd have to want to come here or wherever that, that deal would happen, but... If that were the case, let's put that hypothetical on the table. You can trade for Manny Machado. He is locked in for the next, you know, whatever it is, eight years, years. At, at four and ten years at 400 million, whatever it is, nine years at, at 400 million, whatever it is, you know, let's like 435 million a year, whatever it is. I'm bad at math. What would you give up in that case? Oh no, John! Your t- your tin can is sounding like a uh, static-filled tin can all of a sudden. Here, I will. I, how about this? I'm going to go first, and then we'll we'll see how John sounds. As uh, this is how badly we want to get this to you. We don't even care about how bad it sounds. Uh, two producers, former producer, producer no less, which is which is crazy. Uh, I, I'm at the point where if, if Machado is willing to sign an extension, and, and I don't even care what the money is, that doesn't matter to me. I mean, he's going to get what he's going to get, and it's going to be big, and I think he's worth it. I think he's one of the five best players in the sport heading into the next generation, the next decade of baseball. He could play shortstop or third. Obviously, he'd play third here, but he's that good a defender and that versatile. Um, and, and, you know, I think that the price really is, is what it is. I, I think it's worth it to get that guy in here. I am struggling with the concept of giving up Sixto Sanchez. And because of what I said before about I don't think the Orioles have the leverage, even if Machado is willing to sign, where they could – because it's – you know, it, it, they are in a bit of a tough spot here in terms of trying to move him. I don't think that there is any sort of um, – I don't think that you should give up Sixto is what it comes down to because I think you take the shot that you can sign him in a year if he won't sign the the deal, but – I'm I'm right on the edge with that, John. You know my philosophy that you know these kids they're young and and you don't really know, especially with pitchers and arms, 
But Sixto, I mean, the more you hear about him, the more you see the videos, the more you, you know, hear what people are saying about him and scouts and respected people. I mean, young Pedro is not a phrase to be thrown around lightly in my mind, John. That's the best pitcher I ever saw with my two eyes, at least in terms of most dominant in the moment. Um, but I think after that, I'd give up Kingery and anyone else in the organization. Where do you kind of stand? Did the tin can fix itself? Can yes, we got you. All right, good. Um, yeah, see, I, I, I would, I, I, did, man, I mean, I agree with you where I wouldn't want to, I don't want to trade any of these guys. I don't want to trade a, a, a kid who could end up turning into what Pedro Martinez turned into and has the kind of stuff that, that is dominant. Um, but I also worry about a slight, slightly built pitcher that throws over a hundred miles an hour. Yes. That, um, you have a shoulder injury, you go from 100 to 95 to 92 to 90. There's such a – he was – he's a young dude. He, was he 19 years old now? He was yep. in Clearwater last year, so he's still in single A. A lot can go wrong between now and when you make it to the majors at whatever age. And I know Kingry right now can be a starter in a starter and a difference maker going forward. I can't say that about Sixto Sanchez. So if I was asked who would I rather deal, Kingery or Sanchez, I would say Sixto Sanchez. Just wow. Kingery, Kingery is more of a sure, a sure thing. And, I agree with that. I agree with Sixto. That's true, but at the same time, like Sixto's ceiling is so much higher. And and I'm with you. And again, like I I always veer towards the conservative with young pitchers and arms. And you know, look, I mean, all of these guys, they're doing stuff that the human body is not supposed to do. You know, they're contorting their arms at speeds and angles and stuff and twists and stuff that you're not supposed to do with your body. And thus, you know, it, it, that always scares me. The one thing that I, I keep hearing, and you can see it when he pitches, but the the thing that really makes me feel good about Sixto is the ease of the delivery. You know, the fact that, yeah, he throws 100, but he doesn't look like he works to throw 100, even for how slight he is, even for how small he is. It's just that kind of natural motion, kind of like um, Pedro. I get the comparison because that's yep. kind of what that was. Um, so I'm with you. Look, I, again, I say that if if you put – Manny Machado in front of me, and he says, I'm willing to sign a 10-year contract with you. Come get me. I'm probably giving up whatever it takes. Like, I mean, that dude is but, a, yeah. a, a, a top-five player in the sport. And if you six pitches, you're not giving the prospects, but you're not giving up your other five uh, prospects. Sorry. If you're exactly. Up no, pitches, I think if you trade Sixto, it's Sixto and a lot of trash. I don't know about a lot of trash. Comparatively, I mean, I mean, a lot of lower end guys. Comparatively, I'm not. You're not getting. You're not getting Sixto, and I'm trying to think of like a top ten. Yeah, like, like you're not. You get Sixto. You're you're taking a seat on the other guys. You all care. Maybe I'm just straight all care and not Nick Williams. You know, like I get it. You're gonna. You're prospect. For a guy, you're gonna. Tin can is uh is struggling again, Johnny. Yeah, I'm. Uh, oh, now you sound better. Me. This is, this is oh, great, great stuff well, here. 76 is so bad right now. They have me in the back roads, trying to get the, that. Yeah, it's I brutal, think, man. Uh, it, I feel like John John Candy is on him a right now. Uh, I guess that makes me Steve Martin, which is fine. I'll take it. There you go. 
There you go. All right. Well, I think, um, you know, with that in mind and with the fact that um, we kind of covered the, the kind of whole thing here, just like a final thought, A, on the, the day the Phillies have had and also what you kind of expect. It doesn't have to say they're trading for Manny Machado, but do you expect kind of more big moves coming or or is this kind of the big day and then some little stuff from here? I could see. I, I think that they're being aggressive and they're trying to make some stuff happen, but they realize that at this point in their journey of building the team, it's not necessary. And there's no pressure. You go out and you can make some deals and you can make some trades, but you don't necessarily have to. So they've had a like, more of a trade. I don't know what they're going to do with the outfield situation if they don't make a trade, but um, good day for the Phillies. I give Matt Clintac credit. I like the Santana move, and they, they did what they needed to do to uh, make sure that J.P. Crawford was going to be their starting shortstop in the in the beginning of the season because that's really what needed to happen. Totally agree. I think this is a great day for the Phillies. Santana, great guy to bring in here. Look, played in the World Series a couple years ago. Has played in a lot of playoff games as well there, and um, uh, you know at least a few playoff games. And uh, certainly a nice guy to bring into this clubhouse. And like you said, it's all about the kids. And 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 be excited about it, guys. Like, I mean, like, you have J.P. Crawford. You have this guy who we've, we've been waiting for for years, a first-round pick, you know, pedigree guy, and, and he's your shortstop, your starting shortstop. You know, you have Reese Hoskins moving to the outfield. There, there's all this excitement. I think it's a time to really be excited about the Phillies. And, and John, I think there are big, big, more big moves coming. Like, I'm with you. I think that... Clintac's aggressive right now, but I do agree with you. I think that they've put their, themselves in a nice position where I think they were really gearing up for the 2019 season, that offseason and 2019 season. So they're kind of in a bit of a free roll here where they can take advantage of opportunities that they see rather than feeling like they have to do something to, to you know, kind of drastically overhaul things. It's a good spot to be in. Good spot, and their farm system's deep enough to where if they feel like they, they want to do a Manny Machado trade and they can get him signed, you don't have to worry about him going on the free agent market and you're willing that half a billion dollars or close to what he's going to get and you're willing to meet 10 years or whatever he's going to get for that. And, uh, and I lo- we're losing you there at the end, but I think you said do it, and I agree. Do it, you know, if do you it. have that opportunity and – and it's the, look, the, the Phillies, how much fun would it be to have a guy like Manny Machado here? Either way, it's going to be fun. We've got a real future, but you bring in Machado, man, the hype level just just is going to jump off, and it's going to be really exciting. All right, we are going to let John go back to his, uh, his awful, terrible-sounding commute home and uh, appreciate him taking <laughs> and making the effort here to talk through a tin can to us. Uh, and of course, we will be back uh, next week. We'll get back to our preview and review. And obviously, if any more uh, breaking news or big, you know, hot stove stuff happens, we'll definitely be all over it uh, in the moment. So, as we've shown, John will call from anywhere to make this podcast happen. So, uh, Marks, man, thanks for calling him uh, from from the road, man. Appreciate the uh, the dedication here. Ah, that's how you follow us on Twitter. Yes, at High Hope Spot, and uh, again, uh, uh, perfect that that was only like two of the words we got. So I think that was a, a, a nice, uh, nice way to cap off the pod. Uh, so uh, again, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. At High Hope Spot on Twitter, again, we we really can't tell you how much we appreciate you guys listening. And uh, we'll be back again next week with a, a little catcher action and uh, and looking at uh, what else Matt Clentag does 
over the next few days. So for John Marks, I'm James Seltzer. Thank you for listening to another edition of the High Hopes Podcast.